Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 54 of the Two Hands on the Hurl podcast. I'm your host this week, TJ Mills, and I'm joined by the legend that is Robbie Mansfield. How's things, Robbie? Yeah, I'm good, TJ. How's things yourself? All good? Uh, good, thanks. Yeah, it's over this time, so uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I broke out there last week, so thanks a million for taking the reins there. Um, no worries, you have to cut loose every now and then. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was good now, and um, thank God I didn't feel too bad the next day. So all good, all good. Um, I didn't listen back to the podcast uh, shamingly because I don't know how, but it seemed to get good reaction anyway. Uh, did you have a good week, Robbie? Yeah, good. Uh, busy enough, and just been out for a couple of points on Saturday there, just in Dublin, and. Yeah, all good, all good, all going well in the world, so uh, happy days. Oh, great to hear, great to hear. Um, things nearly back to normal in Dublin, pub-wise? Yeah, yeah, it's busy enough, like, you know, and steady, so I was going to go somewhere to watch the room, and um, the place is busy, so I had to go in somewhere else, and... They didn't have the rugby on the TV in the place I went into, so I just shot my phone instead. Oh God, oh God. Um but I know it's <laughs> at least you at least you're able to watch it anyway, and we'll be discussing that later. Um yeah, we crack on anyway, and there are some important finals took place on Saturday in Croke Park. And they nearly both went along the same lines. Uh, we start off with the football, uh Kilku with a last minute goal over Kilmacug Croaks. Um, and Kilmacook Croaks were well in control of that game for long stages, Robbie. Yeah, they were. Uh, there was a point in the second half where they were eight points to two up and they had a chance of a goal and it was stopped in the line, uh, or very close to the line. And then Kilku got a couple of points and then they got they, uh, they scored a goal like from a free kick um, just ended up going into the net. I think it came off one of the Kilmacook players. And then they got back level and then went to extra time and um, very tight game. And, you know, Kim and Kud were just as if they were pulling away. And then just like uh, Lazarus, you know, uh, Kilku came up with the goal at the end. You know, so uh, fair play to them. I think it's their first All-Ireland title. So um, it was harder. And they went to a lot of extra times in a lot of the games they played. So um, they definitely earned, <laughs> earned every bit of it. Like, you know, and congratulations to them. Yeah, and great credit has to go to Mickey Moran um, as well, the Kilku manager. Um, that was his first all-earned victory. He has a lustrous career at inter-county and club level. And it, there was one video, actually, of the players and some of the mentors at Kilku coming over trying to hug Mickey Morn, but Mickey Morn was focused on heading over to give us commiserations to the Kilmacud manager. So I don't know if you saw it, but it just kind of sums up um, the respect that Mickey Morn had for the opposition manager because he was he was there with Mayo, um, managing Mayo and losing finals and that and um, other teams as well. Um, do you think... Maybe this could be a setback to Crokes or will they bounce back from it because it took them a while to get reach the final stages? 
Yeah, I suppose like the thing is like Dublin is always competitive. Like so, you know, in other counties, maybe you could go on a on a run of winning uh, your county title um, a few years in a row. So you might have a few opportunities to get back into you know the Leinster final or into the All Ireland final and stuff like that. So like Dublin is just so competitive that like it doesn't matter how good of a year you have because you know next year there could be three or four teams you know or even more um, trying to take your place. You know, and Dublin is so strong club football wise, not only because of the you know the concentration of the population of players but you have a lot of lads who would uh you know from down the country a lot of the better players would end up playing on some of the the top uh club teams in Dublin as well so yeah they have an incredible pick for for players especially at like club level uh so I think when you get to an all Ireland final you have to you have to go all the way and win it otherwise you know you mightn't because it's such a long road to get back there and Dublin is such a difficult county to come out of so yeah, I suppose it is a bit of a setback, but you know, Croaks are strong in the bounce back really, but it's just it just becomes really difficult again just trying to win up just getting out of Dublin is gonna be a hard part for anybody, like you know. Yeah, no, it's a real minefield there. And when you look at some <laughs> of the players that are still in action, former intercounty players across the clubs, yeah, you can see why it's a minefield. Uh we move on to the senior club. Uh, senior hurling club championship final that took place. It was the curtain raiser for uh, the Kilmacook Hillcoo game, and it nearly went along the same lines. Robbie Ballyhill Shamrocks nipped at the death door. Bally, uh, Bally Gunner Bally hailed Bally Hale with uh, 217 to 119. And there's one sure thing there's one man in Bally Gunner won't be buying a pint for a long time. Yeah, it was an incredible goal. And, you know, for, for Ballyhale to be beaten, it probably would, it was going to take that level of genius, that level of, you know, an inspirational score to to knock them. Um, and as you're saying, like Ballyhale have often done that to teams and they did it a few times this year uh, and they hung in there and were true champions. And, you know, I think shell-shocked when that goal went in, it was like from so far out, out at the D and... Yeah, it was just like uh, an incredible strike, winning worthy of winning any game, but especially an All Ireland final. And uh, yeah, fair play to to Ballygunner, uh, unreal for the for the locality and stuff. They've won eight, uh, I think, Waterford titles in a row. So yeah, that's given them a good bedrock to kind of uh, keep coming back and improving into the Munster and into the All Ireland series. So yeah, fair play to them. How do you think Shamrocks will react um, to that defeat, Robbie? It's their <laughs> first. They didn't lose many games in Croke Parks, their first competitive loss since 2017. And also the fact that James O'Connor um, stepped down as uh, Ballyhill Shamrock's manager as well uh, after that game. Um, he really had a hard mantle uh, to fill after taking over from Henry Shefflin after winning two All-Earned titles in a row. Um Ballyhill Shamrock's slightly aging team as well, but Ballyhill or Ballyhill, do you think they'll bounce back or do you think um, other up, say other club teams in Kilkenny could see this as an opportunity? Yeah, well, they were around close in a lot of games. Um, <clears throat> and we've kind of talked about it before the first half against the Lachlan's. The Lachlan's played out of the skin and were looking good and, I think it was uh, James Stevens last year ran them close as well. So, you know, yeah. as with Dublin in football, there's a really 
competitive edge in, in Kilkenny hurling, even though Ballyhale won the last few titles. But um, yeah, I think they're strong enough to probably come back again. We'll probably be talking about them, you know, in the in the Leinster series, probably possibly next year as well. Um, and if not, we'll take a really good team. We'll, we'll be there in their place from Kilkenny, you know. So, but um, you know, they do have a lot of guys maybe aging, but in general, I think they have enough enough young guys coming through that it's, they're able to sustain uh, the level they're at, if you know what I mean. It'd be, di- it'd be different if there wasn't the guys coming through, but, you know, you've got is it <clears throat> own Cody, like young hurler of the year the last two years uh, at inter-county yeah. level. Like, so he's going to be there for a long time as well, driving on the team and just still a few uh, years left in the other guys as well. So, yeah, I think they're, they're here to stay for, you know, a fixture in club hurling and it'll be, uh, you know, be a fool to write them off, I think, you know. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, <laughs> being honest, Robbie, being a Carrick Shockman, we've been at the end of Ballyhill defeats over the years, right from underage. We had our good days, but there, so definitely we learned not to write off Ballyhill anyway. And um, yeah, personally, knowing a lot of the players uh, commiserate with them. Um, it's never easy losing a final and um congratulations Spally Gunner as well they're an outstanding team and a uh, question Robbie will this iron Walford hurling and um, not only Bally Gunner but will this get to hoodoo I mean they're the first Watford club team to win in All-Ireland Watford haven't won in All-Ireland since I think it's 1963 um 63 I think uh where uh, they defeated Kilkenny. Do you think this may be Watford's year? There's an awful lot of talk of Limerick reigning champions. We'll be discussing it later. Galway under Henry Shefflin seems to be going well, but Watford seem to be slightly under the radar, gone down slightly in people's estimation, even though the talent that's there. Do you think this could iron Watford's chances this year, the success of Bally Gunner? Yeah, I think it will, it will do nothing but good for them. Um, they'll come back to the the Bally Gunner players. will come back to the Waterford scene um, in a few weeks, and I think that'll give them a nice bit of a kick. I don't think Waterford in general take the league that that seriously, like traditionally. Um, and then when it comes to championship, they're they're really switched on and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I think having people who've gone the distance and won all Ireland title in your dressing room will only be good and. You know, we'll talk about the, the National League in a bit. And obviously Galway played really well the weekend. Um, so maybe they're after jumping up the power rankings a bit. But um, at the start of the season, I was saying probably Waterford, probably second best team in the country based on the performances from last year. Um, and I've got a few uh, guys back from injury. And with the Valley Gunner guys coming in, I think they're going to be, you know, I think they could be the dark horse really and maybe slipping in under the radar uh, through the league might be exactly what they want. Yeah, I know, and I can't disagree. Hopefully, it'd be Kilkenny, but uh, yeah, I know Liam Carl uh, had an option of returning to his home county, Tipperary, but I think this might earn his decision. But as I said to a lad in a text message earlier on, it's a long a long year yet to July, uh, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, there are two uh, Allianz Hurling League matches took place on Saturday as well. Dublin made the trip to 
Antrim and, as we mentioned, Galway made the trip to Limerick. Uh, Dublin defeated Antrim 2-19 to 2 a second half uh, surge by Dublin there. And Galway defeated 14-man Limerick 27 points to 118. Antrim are really a team that's able to put it up. That's the second week in a row they're after putting it up to top division one sides, Robbie. Do you think they're a team that could really make real progress or is it a situation that it's the league and it's the championship where we really see where they're at or is that unfair to Antrim? I don't know. I think like, like, I think they did really well in the league as well and I think they got a draw and a win uh, at home in, in, um, in Antrim. So it was a difficult place for Dublin to go and... You know, you'd be kind of wary of Dublin going up there. Um, I think they were talking about it on a Sunday game, on the league Sunday or whatever, that, you know, it's a really tight pitch and the fans are really on top of you. So, you know, like a real hometown atmosphere can really unsettle the visiting team. Um, so it's brilliant for Dublin to get the win. And, you know, like that's that's what you're really, you're saying about Antrim, but it's, it's um, a good thing that Dublin got the win. They were lucky enough to get the win, if you know what I mean. So that, that means Andrew Mark coming along because a few years ago he would have been going up uh, up north and expecting to win, you know. So the fact that we got the win uh, is a really good thing and it shows how strong Sorry, we lost Robbie there, the joys of uh, live podcasting. Uh, we have Robbie back here now, Hello. I hope. Yeah, sorry, we yeah. lost you there, Robbie. The joys oh, sorry, of man. unedited live podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> where, where did you leave? Where did you get me? Where did I drop off? Uh, you dropped off very near the start. Um, you're talking about... Um, teams that would be travelling up north expecting the victory yeah a few years ago you would have been going up expecting to win but now you're you know you're you're happy to come away with a, a win so that's a, a sign of how far Antrim are progressing if you know what I mean so yeah but I think overall everyone else is probably a step ahead in the championship you know if they can claim a scalp or two in the championship um, or run teams close that'll be a great improvement for them so um, yeah they're really passionate about hurling up there. So hopefully they can uh, come on and leaps and bounds. Yeah, I think the big game there for Antrim would be the leash game. It'd be one that both sides would be targeting. Uh, we'd be talking about the leash result later on. But we move on to the Galway-Limerick game. Um, I was questioning Limerick slightly last year because their league performances weren't really up to the level. Now, there's always a caveat there when you're reigning all earned champions, it takes a while for the the focus to come back into it because you're in the middle of hard training, you have events, and especially after COVID, they may be involved in events as well. But John Kiley's a really shrewd operator. But there's an awful lot of talk and deservingly with Henry Shefflin taking over the reins in Galway, and that would be an important result. But do you think Galway can read too much into it? It is only the league, or is it a situation that this was a big scalp for Galway to get and could really kind of set them up for a good championship run? Are you there, Robbie? 
Oh, I'm back there now. Sorry. I don't know what's at all. Yeah, I know not a bother at all. Yeah, I know. Oh, sorry system, about... No, sorry. <laughs> not a bother. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'll rephrase that again. I was just saying um, Limerick reigning All-Ireland champions, Galway. There's a lot of talk that Galway are having real momentum now at the moment. This their second win in the league. Um, awfully in the first game. Do you think it's a bit too soon to see the progress Galway are making because it is only the league or could this really set Galway up for a good summer getting the Limerick Hudu off their back? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's great for, for Galway, you know, go down to the, uh, the Gaelic grounds and getting the win, you know, Saturday night under lights and it was a real championship feel to it and Galway are really physical. And they put it up to Limerick, who would have been, you know, really one of the phys- more physical teams over the last few years, you know. So I think it's um it's a real statement of intent. And you know, Henry Shefflin at after after the game was he was very hoarse in his interview. Uh, so he was obviously doing lots of shouting. So it obviously meant a lot to him. And I'm sure he's he's using Limerick as the yardstick everyone wants to be measured by. So getting the win over them, um, you know, is a really good sign. You could argue maybe they're not at full strength. Um, and they were in command of the game uh, until Hegarty got sent off. Really, they were fairly dominant ahead, and then so they were winning by two points, and they lost by six points in the end. So the sending off did have a big impact. So yeah, but even still, it's great to get an away win in the, in the national league. There, they're few and far between to get. You know, was it a red card, Robbie, from what you saw of it? And there's an awful lot of talk that there's a lot of attention being paid to Limerick now I know there's a former Kilkenny player and neighbour and friend of mine Richie Power had comments on it on Twitter that there's an awful lot of focus on the likes of Garrod Hegarty and all of that do you think that's a fair assessment that Limerick are maybe getting a bit more attention than other teams or is it a situation that referees are being told by the GA to stamp it out and no matter what team does it will be punished No I, I do think it was a red card um, you know he had a few goals, goals at him with the hurl uh, towards the face um, so it's very hard to argue maybe that's not a red but I do definitely think that Limerick are going to come in for a lot of attention uh, but this is the Nate this comes with the territory when you are champions, everything gets highlighted. You know, it happened to, you know, the Kilkenny teams for a long time. Yeah. And also for uh, the Dublin footballers, you know, any sort of a black card, yellow card, red card, um, we're always analysed to death in the media, you know. So, um, you know, but I think that the edge that Limerick have, they are a physical team. They play on the the border and the rules, or the border of the rule book, which all of the great teams do. They play to the the whistle and stuff like that, you know. Um, so they do have to watch themselves that they will be under attention. And, you know, possibly lads will be going in a bit harder on Hegarty, uh, Hegarty trying to get a reaction from, from him. Like they did with uh, Jeremy Connolly for years. He was, you know, once he started getting a few red cards, people would just try and wind him up, you know. So this this happens to all the great teams, you know. So they have to uh, learn to adjust and, you know, control aggression. Uh, that's what it's called for. So, um yeah, there it was a red, but they will come in for special attention because they're such a great team, you know. Yeah, I know. Fair point there. Like it, it's unusual, and just to twist that a bit, maybe slightly 
I don't know what way to phrase it. I won't say disagree, but it's usually often here that the champions get the rub of the green. But it seems in the past few years and that that isn't really happening that much as in other sports. So is it a situation, as you're saying, it is down to the media attention on Dollar Ireland champions that someone else may get away with it, say, in the lower division? are maybe in not such a high-profile game as that was. Yeah, I can see, like, you know, it's possible what happened on Saturday night quite often could not be a red, you know, but the because of how close the referee was, that, that meant he kind of had to take action. Um, but, yeah, I take that point, you know, like you, like you would have said for, you know, Man United, Manchester United for years, they always got the decisions from referees and all this sort of stuff. Um you know, there was Fergie time and all this sort of stuff. But um, I think it's a little bit different in, in a GA context. Um, because if you go to, say, Old Trafford, for example, you've got maybe, you know, 65,000 Man United fans. Uh, so they will definitely influence the referee. So in a lot of GA fixtures, there's a lot more um, of a neutral sort of audience. Even on, in an away game, you have a lot of um, like away fans, if you know what I mean. So I think it's a little bit different in yeah. GA and... Because maybe there's been a few instances with Limerick over the last few years where red cards, possible reds, you know, guys playing on the limit of the rules that they have come in for a little bit more attention. I, I do think that does come with champions and it has happened with Dublin. You know, if Dublin got a black card or a red card or they didn't get a red card or a black card, you know, it would be in the media for weeks nearly, you know, so. Yeah. And, you know, and we're maybe putting a little bit more emphasis on it ourselves because it is Limerick, you know, the way. So, yeah, I think it just comes to the territory for for modern GA teams, really. Yeah, I know a very, very valid point there. Uh, we brushed through the other remaining fixtures. Uh, Wexford claiming their second win over Clare 2, 20 Wexford under new management. Do you think Wexford, are, and I know you have connections with Wexford, Robbie, uh, do you think Wexford are a different animal this year. Davy Fitz got them up to a really competitive level, but now this new management team could be the ones to get them over the line. I know they claimed Leinster a few years ago, didn't win an all earned since 96. We were mentioning Watford earlier, and we'll be mentioning them again in a minute. But do you think Wexford could maybe slightly come in under the radar, or is the caveat there that it's still only the league? Yeah, I think, you know, it is only the league. Uh, they've got two big wins, uh, beating Limerick and then going to Ennis and winning. Uh, I know Claire didn't have Tony Kelly, so, you know, you could read a bit into that as well. But I watched the, the highlights of the game back. They played really well. They worked the ball through the lines really well. And, um, yeah, I think, like, you know, they're, they're going to be in a shake-up in Leinster for, for another Leinster title. Um, I think over the last few years, you could say that they're probably, the last couple of years especially, they're probably the most disappointed with how their seasons have gone um, and probably feel they've, they've left the most behind them in terms of, you know, performances on the pitch, you know. So, you know, I think Wexford with their tails up playing well are a very dangerous animal. Uh, and in Wexford Park, they could probably beat anybody. So, yeah, I think I was actually expecting a bit of a drop-off uh, when Davey left, to be honest with you, because um, he, he came in when they were at a low ebb and he brought them up so much that I thought there would be just a natural drop when he left. But, uh, the new manager's name escapes me now, but, you know, a brilliant start so far. And, you know, I used to live in Wexford for a while, so great fondness for Wexford too. My kids were born there, so uh, <laughs> I always like to see them doing well. Um, 
So yeah, hopefully they, they kick on and do well. Um, I know you're going to hope they don't kick on too well for Kilkenny's sake, though. <laughs> yeah, no, I won't lie to you. The Wexford manager's name escaped me. I should have known Dara Egan's his name. He worked um, behind Liam Sheedy in Tipperary for a few years. And I mean, very few people would have um, hearing of him um, if you weren't, say, really into hurling or that but he took on the job down there and he's doing I, I'd be impressed I think he's after taking him a level and be unusual for a Kilkenny man to say but I always had a regard really great regard for Wexford I think they're great fans and uh, yeah I, I hope it's not at the sake of Kilkenny but uh, if there were one team uh, other than Kilkenny, Wexford, Watford, uh, it'd be two um, that I would like to see. Uh, we go over the other fixtures. Cork had a convincing win over Offaly, 425 to 115. Not rub salt into wounds. I know the work that's going on up in Offaly to come up from Division 2 uh, to Division 1 is a b- big step up when you're coming from Christy Ring. Uh, up to you could say Liam McCarthy in the league it's going to take time and Mick Finley's doing great work up there uh, Watford uh, I kind of and I hate saying it but i done a bit of a snigger that Watford weren't a league when you said Watford weren't a league team especially with the scoreline 731 to 19 points victory over Leash uh, Leash went down 14 players again for the second week in a row um, yeah, it's, I, I don't know when you, like everyone knows I have leash connections when you run Tipperary to four points and then suffer a defeat like that. Were Watford awesome or did leash have a bad day or whatever, but not rub salt in the wounds. They'd be bitterly disappointed and it doesn't get easier for leash. They have Kilkenny up next in Nolan Park. But to finish off the hurling reaction, Robbie, we can't go any further than Tipperary and Kilkenny Dage old rivalry. Tipperary edged it out one nineteen to one eighteen on Sunday. Um both sides missing players, Tipperary kind of in a rebuilding stage, Kilkenny the same, but still there are some brilliant passages to play in that game. Yeah, some uh, it was a, a really great game to watch back. I've seen the highlights there. Um there was uh, twelve only twelve people started that uh, were in the All Ireland final from was it 2018 when they played each other? So yeah, yeah as you're saying, they're in a, a bit of a redevelopment. Um, and Jason Ford, I think he got 10 points. Um, so what's really disappointing from a Kilkenny point of view is that they had 23 shots in the first half and they only converted eight of them. So yeah. you know, I think that's that's kind of disappointing. Um, but yeah, like you know, a lot of new faces in there will take time to gel, and you know, going to uh, going to the stadium as it's called in Tipperary if you go to the going to Thurles and um running Tipperary close is always a good thing. Um and you know only for a free in the last minute there uh the Tipperary converted it could have been a draw or maybe Kilkenny could have got the ball and won the game, you know. So very close margins. Um you know it's always great seeing Kilkenny and Tip going at each other uh full tilt, you know. So maybe, you know, they might be again further down the line in the championship possibly. Yeah, no, and I mean, it'd be interesting. It's always close, no matter if 
the teams aren't kind of performing well. They still always die with their boots on either Tipperary or Kilkenny. Uh, there's one t- focus on that game, and it's a f- kind of a focus that's becoming into hurling um, the past while. And that's the role of the centre-back. And, I mean, you look at, we're chatting about the Ballyhill Shamrocks game. The goal for Ballygunner came right with the opposition player tearing through where the centre-back should be. Do you think this is a thing, kind of a trend that's coming into it, the same as kind of the possession in Gaelic football, that um, there's no real possession uh, positions anymore and uh, where the centre-back used to be, I won't say the last line of the defence, it's kind of the third line of the defence when you consider the full-back and the goalie. But the game's gone so fast now that the centre-back doesn't, or the centre-back line doesn't really have as much of an importance as, as it would have of old. Or is it a game that's gone so quick and players' physicality has gone so strong that, the centre back has to kind of follow him out. Like just to just to put it, Robbie, any team I was always involved with, I would have always focusing about really securing that line, either dropping players back if you're coming under pressure. But that seems to be going out of hurling. Is that a good or a bad thing? Yeah, I think you know, with all the short passing, like guys are getting dragged away from the, maybe their traditional fifteen position, if you know what I mean. So. And as well, I think there was, I think it could have been like, you know, maybe 20 shots or 20 of the scores uh, in the tip uh, Kilkenny match were from way out the field, uh, over 50 metres. So that's where a lot of the, the the scoring zone is so far out now that, you know, it's going to see maybe a bit of a gap maybe at the tr- traditional sixth position, you know. Um you know, it's a hard one. Like, if you're if your man goes out as a centre back, like, do you follow them? Do you stay? Um, I would argue probably you have to kind of mind the house, um, yeah. so it doesn't create an overlap for guys running through and getting goals and stuff like that. Um, but like, if the likes of Jason Ford is wandering out to midfield, you're going to have to fo- have someone follow him. You know, so I think it could be a situation where tactically you just need to designate someone to follow the half forwards out and watch them. Uh, when they're in the middle of the park so they can't get into acres of space and just pop over points uh, for fun, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, I think that yeah. that would probably be a solution to that because you don't want to your your centre-back to come out of position because, you know, the way teams are working a short ball and the hand-passing and the overlapping and stuff like that, like it is in football, you know, if there's an overlap, they're going to punish you. Uh, so, yeah, I think that, that would be if you had someone tracking the the forwards dropping deep, that's probably the best thing to do. Yeah, no, the solution I would have always, and it may not be the most um, popular um, because it'd be considered slightly a blanket defence is sacrificing a forward. I mean, you drop back the midfielders, if or midfielder, or the midfielders and drop back half forward line. Is it a situation because of the kind of the criticism of kind of blanket defences. Uh, Watford kind of slightly operated one, well, I won't say slightly, with, under Derek McGrath. Wexford kind of operated the same under Davy Fitzson. That Do you think that kind of criticism has managers shine away? Or is it, as you said, that it's a situation that the game's gone so fast and you have short passing and everything out the field that 
the position has just become obsolete in the sense that if you didn't have a player there, would kind of anyone notice other than a free run through on goal? Yeah, I think as well with Limerick as well, being able to take scores from everywhere that maybe managements and coaching staff are, are seeing that dropping, if you drop, you know, two lads back into the halfback line or, you know, into the, you know, the the start of, you know, as you're on 65 or whatever, that players will just stick the ball over their heads. The ball will just sail over the heads, over the bar, you know. So I think that could be a reaction to that. The fact that Limerick are getting so many scores from out the field and, I think, you know, that that is maybe causing management to shy away from just a blanket defence because, you know, guys aren't going to carry the ball into two or three lads. You're going to have a shot from distance in a way. So I think that's probably yeah. what's happening. Yeah, I know a very fair point. Anyway, we move on from the tactics of GA and the reaction from the weekend, Robbie, to the picks of the week. And other than the Super Bowl uh, being a pick, um, i let you take it away, Robbie. Yeah, so I was watching the Tinder Swindler last night. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, and we're going to maybe chat about it in a bit. But um, yeah, it's well worth checking out on Netflix. Um, another artist that I've you know banged on a, like a few times is uh, Orville Peck. He released um, like a four-track EP there. Um, what did you do? It was it um, last Friday? Um, so yeah, that's a he's a brilliant artist, and I love everything he does. You know, so no surprise, I'm going to be. Uh, asking people to listen to that i also caught some of the joe rogan comedy stuff on netflix um that's really good uh he talks about all sorts of different stuff and his comedy is really good i like his podcast obviously and then his comedy is really good and then there's new episodes of uh, always sunny in philadelphia up on netflix as well so the 15 I think 15 season so That'll be a show that I've watched. I've watched all the seasons up until now, so I need to catch up on that. Uh, there's a few good things coming up on uh, Netflix as well. Next month, The Last Kingdom's coming out. And there's also Vikings uh, TV series is on, or it's on Netflix. It's going to be on later this month. It'll be out next week, actually, as well. So watch out for that one as well. So, yeah, there are my picks of the week. Oh, cool. Um, some brilliant ones there. It's hard to believe it's always sunny in Philadelphia's fi- in its 15th season. I only heard of it last year. Uh, yeah. Sorry, the year before. Uh, last year or the year before when we, um, the, uh, I think it was Lima yourself um, brought it up on the podcast and I haven't watched one episode yet. So I yeah, definitely, it's very good. Like, they, they take very serious issues. Um really really serious issues that you shouldn't be joking about and they make them hilarious which is uh, part of the, the magic of them I suppose is it a bit and now maybe I asked this question before and apologies if I did on a when it was mentioned is it kind of like then slightly a bit like cheers only in the modern era because cheers used to feature kind of some topics that would be Slightly off the cup of, cuff as well, and dealt with say uh, how people dealt with personal struggles as well. Is it that kind of? Well, like, it's super or... dark. It's super dark. I oh, suppose. Okay. They're, they're, they're not really doing it to maybe explore an issue to highlight it. It's more to make fun of it. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Yeah, it, like yeah. it's super super dark, and the characters in it. You know, the only way to describe them is they're complete degenerates. Like they're just horrible, horrible people. <laughs> so, and you know, they, they always end up, you know, messing up a situation or just being crazy and stuff like that. You know, um, 
yeah so you know other than it's set in a bar and it makes people laugh um i think that's where the similarities with cheers stop but uh cheers is another great show as well okay okay yeah no <laughs> i i won't lie to you danny devito would be one of my favorite characters i just think he's a legend and he nice seems stuff. to come across anything i ever saw of real life of him that he was um our daddy's a really kind of genuine person and he was actually married to Marla out of Cheers in real life I think that was her name the waitress in the rest in Cheers bar and uh, they were actually yeah. married in real life so maybe uh, they'd be kind of a connection there uh, yeah I won't I won't lie Robbie I've been up to my eyes the past week Um, was in a drama yoke with um, Mokra there so we were practicing a lot last week and that but uh, the picks I'm checking out a bit of the Winter Olympics over in uh, Beijing Um, I would have been really into it when I was younger say the likes of the curling and that even though it might be look boring and that um i always loved it um sounds like curling uh the complete opposite they have sticks <laughs> uh but they fire a big marble kind of uh, how can i describe it plug stopper uh down an ice rink and they have kind of sweeping brushes that directed and all of that it may not sound appealing but uh yeah i like it and it's kind of like a strategy game sort of almost exactly exactly it'd be kind of a slow but it's kind of uh meticulous and uh yeah no it's just interesting i i always find it interesting and i often had the game on my phone and that playing it um but definitely wouldn't take Mm -hmm. off in ireland anyway because we definitely wouldn't have the weather conditions for it um yeah the other one um listening to a lot of music again um being honest was kind of abba because we're doing an abba thing for mocker and that so that would have been a lot of the music i was listening to and um yeah uh one tribute i want to pay before i finish my picks is a, a radio dj that i had a great time for on a national broadcaster today fm fergal darcy finished up um got me through an awful lot of afternoons and work and also sunday morning runs as well and unfortunately fergal darcy has left today fm i don't Where's know i think uh i don't know i think it's um and i'd be very careful to say it but i think it was um uh, maybe not his total uh, choice in the matter um there's a couple radio can be very harsh now i'm not sure if it's the situation in this case and i'll caveat it that way i'm not saying what the conditions were but i just heard um during the week that he was leaving and it was announced in January there was another case in 2FM that was going around the media as well Um, radio can be even though I love it and played a big part in my life and anytime I never got taken I got a couple of shows taken at times but that 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 happens and other presenters come in and that but um change of schedules and that yeah you'd be disappointed but um 
yeah, no, it's I don't know if that's the situation there, but I would have having great regard for Fergal Darcy on the radio, and hopefully we hear him back on their wave soon. Um Grey Foley's back, actually, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Um I won't lie. Uh, yeah, I I just leave it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not a fan. I, yeah, no, I I mean I I respect any radio DJ straight up, but um, there's a couple of decisions over the past couple of a few years. I would have been a big fan of Myrna O'Connell as well. Um, was on to today FM in the afternoons. Louise McSharry on two FM. Uh, Will Lee, he used to be on two FM growing up. Um switch different stations all of that it's it's all down to jnlr ratings robbie it's um that can be a factor in it at times and i won't say anything to libel myself here but that's it an awful lot of decisions can be on listenership figures and um you have winners and you have some that suffer losses and that that's the that's the radio business is a bit like sport, but yeah, pay tribute to Louise McSherry and Fergal Arcy who um are off the airwaves for the moment, but I won't say for long. Um, yeah, I think it's a it's a difficult time slot on the radio, you know, like from like maybe twelve to drive time, I suppose. Um, you know, I don't know. I always, I always almost turn off radio at that, at that time, to be honest, unless I ha- I'm maybe listening to the news or something like that. I'd nearly almost listen to my own stuff in that time period, time period, you know. So, yeah, I think it's it's a hard one to maybe get a bit of momentum at because you've got a lot of floating listeners and stuff like that, you know. But um, yeah, I'm actually I used to be a big fan of Ray Foley when he was on uh, in the afternoons and stuff like that. Um, just because he was so funny and comical now, I can definitely see why people wouldn't like him, to be honest. But um, yeah, it's a cutthroat, cutthroat uh, sort of business, really, you know? Yeah, I, I won't lie. And I, I clarified straight away, I can't remember Ray on the radio, so I can't say good or bad. I mean, anyone that's um, been in the radio industry as long, I mean, has to deserve respect. Um, but everyone has their own tastes and genres and it could be a situation that I could really enjoy the show. It's just that I'm kind of bitter that one of my favorite presenters has taken off there. Um, And in all fairness, one of the main influences of getting me involved with radio other than the heroes I would have ended up working with on local radio, um, both commercial and local um would have been Jerry Ryan and being honest when I heard the announcement to the death of Jerry Ryan it was like part of the family because he was a legend on the radio and he would have been one of the ones that would have always kind of been a driving influence to eventually getting involved um some way within radio but um yeah I suppose it's just like a favorite sports team you you get you get following there, they kind of become part of your lives in a sense for that certain time. But I agree with you. It's one rule of radio. You have floating listenership. Um, you won't have people listening for 15 minutes constant. If you're in the car and you have a song on, you don't like you change the station. But um, yeah, no, I just thought I'd pay tribute 
Ed, Fergal Darcy and Louise McSherry because there are two two people I would have highly regarded and there are other broadcasters there that I still have regard and it, it'd be the exact same for anyone. I won't personalise anyone I wouldn't really like on it. But um, yeah, I, it's just it just shows the business and that's that's it at the end of the day. Uh, we move on anyway, Robbie, and this could be a slightly controversial topic, um, but it's a really interesting one. And it's one that's in the news around the world and also in Ireland as well. Um, I can't, I think it's McBarry, a people before profit. I stand corrected on that, but I think he's trying to bring in uh, legislation in Ireland to legalize certain drugs. Um, and it's a brilliant topic you have here. So would you be for or against the legalization of certain drugs in Ireland? Yeah, I suppose I wouldn't be fully either way, but I would definitely lean more towards uh, legalizing, um, especially the likes of cannabis or marijuana and stuff like that. You know, a lot of people say, oh, it's a gateway drug and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I think you're like, because it's such maybe a socially accepted drug that a lot of people would try it and they might try it and their first protocol might be, you know, a drug dealer. So maybe people that maybe if they could buy it in a shop, they wouldn't be, you know, connected to a drug dealer, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. And then, you know, if they're connected to a drug dealer, then maybe that person might have access to all sorts of other products or drugs as well. Um, I suppose as well, like, you know, the war on drug maybe war on drugs is, is lots of money has been spent on it. And, you know, has it really stopped or curbed um drug use? Um and as well, like a lot a lot of people maybe died because they're in maybe unsupervised situations taking drugs and stuff like that. So uh, you know, I think they have tried it in other countries and stuff like that, and there has been some relative success. Um you know, and as well, like you could also make a lot of money in terms of revenue um, if you're taxing products as well. Like, you know, not to sound too callous about it, but, you know, a lot of the revenue is going to, to drug lords. And, you know, in Ireland, you have a, like a, a culture of drug dealers where they're taking like young guys from poor areas and they're, you know, involving them in the drugs game very early in their life. And, you know, it's a one way track to, to prison and, you know, maybe getting you know, shot in some sort of rival gangland feud and stuff like that, you know. So, you know, I suppose like the, the negatives to it would be it would be more freely available, um, you know, but I think there is a certain amount of personal choice and a lot of people are probably going to try these things anyway. And if they are legal, maybe there can be a certain amount of um, uh, like more like people talking about it and stuff like that and more information about it as well. Um, you know, I don't... I have taken some substances in my life. I'll, I'll hand on my heart, but I don't take any now and I wouldn't take any really again. Uh, so just to, to declare where I am on that, like, um, but um, yeah, I think overall, I think it would be good and maybe worth trialing for a while. Uh, what do you think, Teach? Uh, just one thing I want to clarify. Mick Barry was introduced and legalizing for medical purposes. Um, actually, his colleague, Gino Kelly, of people before profit was on about legalizing um certain drugs which would be um i think it was cannabis um so just to clarify that i 
didn't say anything wrong, but I just want to clarify, Mick Barry was for medical legalization and Gino Kelly was for um it was introducing the bill to the doll to legalize and regulate uh, cer- certain drugs just to clarify that um yeah i i think for the safety of the consumer you're always going to have people that will take drugs um no matter what i partying you'd have uh, you'll have addicts um you'll have people that will buy off of people that may not be the best um in a sense if it was legalized as you say to be regulations placed on them that it would have to reach a certain standard to be tax revenue and all of that that could be ring fence for the treatment of people so maybe better that um money would be directed that way to, to drug lords. Um, the danger I would see against it, Robbie, is when something is allowed, it could see an, uh, an increase in consumption. Um, and that would be a fear I'd have. I think people should have their own choice. If someone makes a mistake, when they're younger, I don't think they should be penalized for life for it. Um, I mean, especially in the the sense if they were caught in possession, didn't do any harm, and yet the rest of their life is ruined. Um, I think there should be a better way of dealing with that. Genuinely believe there should be a better way of dealing with that. Um, what about the consumption of alcohol and you know that obviously has can have quite negative effects as well are we definitely are we making a are we making a a difference between the two when maybe they're they're very similar if you know what i mean they have lots of negative impacts on alcohol and yet we it's still quite widely sold you know so you know i I take your point in terms of like that it use possibly might increase um you know but is it any difficult different than alcohol really oh no i i mean i completely agree with you and i know for debate it can't be one-sided that but you are dead right one of the biggest um legal drugs around causes the most harm and I've seen effects of it. Um, all you have to do is walk down the main street um, in any town or city around the country of a Saturday night and you see the consequences of it. Uh, there's a video circulating uh, around social media um, last week of an incident in Kilkenny that was all down to a factor of alcohol. Um I've seen people being put into the back of an ambulance all because of the result of alcohol, either self-inflicted or as a result of some other incident. And um, I, I enjoy taking a drink. Um, I don't think I ever 
done any harm. And I think the the right to being able to consume is a complete fair and liberal one. Um, And yeah, I know it's a very valid point, Robbie. I mean, what's the difference between certain drugs and alcohol? Uh, The difference is alcohol is sold legally and drugs aren't. That's that's the only difference. That's the only difference. I mean, and you could have someone that would smoke marijuana or uh, I I don't know the proper term marijuana, hash, I mean, cannabis. I mean, three terms for nearly same type of drug. And you could have someone that would smoke that would do far less harm than someone going out drinking 10 cans of any alcoholic drink. Um, yeah. yeah so there's, there is like a bit of hypocrisy in the whole thing that people, people might advocate for, you know, no, no to drugs, but then be happy enough with alcohol. I suppose there's no real, like, there's no answer really that's like all inclusive that will suit everybody, if you know what I mean. So, but I, I do think that, you know, we've tried um, at a certain way for a long time. And that may be given a chance to um, possibly an alternative um, could be an option. Um, and, you know, maybe just taking, taking money out of, uh, you know, the, the, the drug lords and, you know, the gangland and stuff like that. And maybe it possibly might make the Gardaí's job easier possibly as well. You never know. Yeah, I know, definitely. And I mean, it's we are in a society that is moving on and it is a situation that these debates have to take place. And I mean, the the government uh, and like I said beforehand, I am a member of one of the government parties um, and I disagree with a hell of a lot. I was a member of a political party previously on principle. I stepped away completely because I was saying here, I can't condone what's happening. And I mean, they introduced minimum pricing on alcohol that was only affecting the poor. It's as simple as that. It isn't affecting people that were, um, that we're going in getting one bottle of wine at the weekend or getting a couple of cans just and at that introducing minimum pricing was affecting the person that was most likely on a low income and was dependent on alcohol and if they have dependence their family could suffer as a result of an addiction and the hypocrisy there is we're saying alcohol's okay, but we're going to penalize you to consume it, but yet we think it's better than other drugs. And that could far cause far less impact. And um say if you take for the example, which I never, never actually touched. Uh, cannabis or anything like that you could have someone that's really responsible good career good whatever there's high profile celebrities that some are on television some are on radio that consume drugs and no one blinked an eye but yes 
the government are saying here, no, we we're not. It's illegal, but yet we're looking up. So it, it's a really, really tight one. But I think it's a debate that has to take place. And I agree with your position that it could do more good than harm. But I still have a fear that they would it's a bit like to remember when the pubs reopened at say christmas a couple of years ago not everyone partied but still when the option is there and i'm not saying that say coronavirus cases came directly from pubs i disagree with that narrative but once you make something available to people it's kind of like of um a situation of saying come try it and i'd rather a situation where they may be introduced it in a sense that if someone was caught in possession of drugs once they wouldn't be penalized for the rest of their life that that's where i that's where i would like to see introduced first and free total liberalization of it um, yeah, I suppose as well. Maybe like don't criminalize addicts. You know, they're they've got an illness more so. Like extreme adult uh, addicts have an illness. Um, exactly, and they should be treated different differently than maybe you know petty criminals and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's 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 it exactly. Because if you send someone to jail, are you damaged their life? for say possession of something how are you going to help them in the future i think an education program like if they did well i put it this way to you if they did legalize drugs and are sold in controlled settings and the government took tax revenue to try and encourage people not to take them. Now, this might sound stupid in a sense. You're saying here you can do it, but we're going to try and stop you from doing it as well. I'd rather see something like that than the government paying to send someone to prison for possession charge that they've done nothing else wrong or pay in other words, in other terms, say social welfare or something like that, because the person can't get a job because of being caught in possession, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, no, it does make sense, sorry. I think funding that way and doing something like that would make more sense because you can provide education and you're also not punishing someone for one stupid mistake or one yeah. stupid whatever. And that's where I think a debate has to take place. But the real fear I would have is everyone knows drugs are free and available out there. Um, and I think by legalizing them completely, you're giving them given people an opportunity just to go try them for the sake of trying them where if resources were pumped to try and help not punish people that are already in difficulty with addiction and um, seek the help to get off addiction um, 
and it'd be the same with alcohol. I'd love to see the increases in the minimum pricing of alcohol actually going into helping people's um, addiction to it and also help their family's life then actually go into the make a profit for people. And that's that's where I have a real difficulty with the minimum pricing at the moment. Like people know I love drinking gin and tonic. I also like drinking a can of something. The price of a, gin, a can of gin and tonic in a supermarket didn't go up, but the price of a can did go up. Where's the sense in that, Robbie? Yeah, no, it's a fair point. I think uh, in general, they should probably cut the price of Guinness as well, just while they're at it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yes, but yet it was actually the... You, most of the people that have an addiction would not go straight away for cans of Guinness because they're dearer already. Yeah, I was I'm not saying that. Yeah, I know, like, like yeah, I know, oh, no, 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 definitely. And it's, I know, I'm joke. <laughs> I, I know it was a joke, but what I'm saying is, yeah, I actually had people that were on very low incomes going in buying, say, the cheaper alcohol. And a, a can or two of alcohol could actually come before bread or butter now to some people. And that's, yeah. anyway, I got dragged down a rabbit hole and I apologize, <laughs> but it, it was a brilliant topic, Robbie. And we move on to reaction um, to the Six Nations at the weekend. <laughs> and of course, the big game was Ireland versus France, two of the top teams in Europe at the moment. Ireland, very unlucky, Robbie. Um, yeah, I think you know a few things could have went our way. Um, could have led to a different result. Um, I think they kind of dug themselves a bit of a hole in the first half, um, and they like they played manfully in the second half. Um, and you know, I think we really put it up to France. And I think if you're thinking long term picture, that you know the World Cup is going to be in France. And we were very close to France. Um, a lot was made of Ireland's decision to take three points instead of kicking to the corner. Um, you know, at, at the time, I thought kicking the ball over was a good idea because I thought there was like eight minutes left on the clock and the chances of us getting another penalty in their half were relatively high. But um, I suppose that's that's how the uh, situation goes. Uh, a lot of people were saying they should have went to the corner um, and trying to finish off the job and get to try against France and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think, you know, it'll be a big learning experience for the likes of James Ryan as captain. Uh, Joey Carberry uh, started at 10. Um, he played good as well. So, you know, I think overall, in the, if you're thinking of it in terms of World Cup cycle, it was a great development for this team. And, you know, the way the Six Nations are panning out, you know, maybe Wales or... They play Scotland as well. Wales, Scotland, or or England could beat France, and you know all everyone everyone's lost a game apart from France. So you know if France were to lose a game, that would open up maybe possibly Ireland to win the Six Nations, possibly. You know, so good performance. We we dug ourselves a bit of a hole, um, but overall, I think I'm fairly happy with the team and how they're going, and hopefully they can kick on for the rest of the Six Nations and and win their last three games, hopefully. 
big question, Robbie, is Jonathan Sexton missed the game on Saturday. Joey Carberry, Joey Carberry stepped in because Sexton was injured, a hamstring injury. Ireland are playing Italy next. Um, I listened to an interview Keith Wood done on the radio yesterday, and Keith Wood was saying, well, Joey Carberry came in one of the biggest games, showed he's well up to the level. Jonathan Sexton's 36. Um, we're coming into a World Cup year next year. Would you play Joey Carberry ahead of Jonathan Sexton if if he was fit against Italy in two weeks' time? Yeah, I don't think there's any benefit to playing Jonathan Sexton against Italy, to be honest, you know, long-term uh, for the Irish. And it's, it's a perfect opportunity to get more minutes into Joey Carberry. And, and then if he plays really well, I know it's only Italy in, in, in some respect, but if he has a really great game against Italy, then maybe throwing him in against um, England, then that'd be a massive test for him. And that would be great. You know, so I think at a certain point, you know, Andy Farrell has to decide, is he going for the Six Nations to win this? Or is he thinking more in terms of World, World Cup cycle? Um, and I think everyone else is playing more of a World Cup cycle sort of a game. So I think that we should do that as well. And, you know, I'd be happy enough to start Joey for the, the remaining three games because we know what we're going to get from Jonathan Sexton. He's a brilliant player. And maybe get him on in a few of those games to finish off. Maybe the last 10, 15 minutes will come on there and play really well. Um, yeah, so I definitely think Joey Carberry should start against Italy. Uh, and it, unless he has a, a really, really bad game, I think that he should start for the, the remainder of the Six Nations. Yeah, I know I'd, I'd be of the same opinion. Um, I would have, like, we have to focus on the long-term objective and we have to get away with the kind of the short-sightedness that has been around Irish squad at times. Um Jonathan Sexton is an absolute legend of a player, but still they have to be a handover that they were the time Ron Nogara was there. And if you ask me at that time, I would have been in the Ron Nogara camp, the same as people would be in the Jonathan Sexton camp at the moment. And that's not taken away. But when you have a situation that... um. Unfortunately, at the moment, Jonathan Sexton is prone to injury, and that's not wrong, bad against the man, but it's just the fact at the moment, and it's really unfortunate. If Jonathan Sexton was there last week, last Saturday night, what's to say we may not have gotten a result, but still, Joey Carberry done phenomenal. Uh, for a player that came back from injury. And I think it was his first competitive start in the Six Nations as well. His only real other game was against New Zealand uh, a couple of seasons ago as well. Um, So, yeah, it'd be a big test. But do you think it's a situation that Andy Farrell will be able to do it? Because will Jonathan Sexton react well to seeing himself on the bench? No, I think he's kind of um, maybe a Ronaldo figure, Sexton, in terms of like that he wants to play every minute and he wants to be there and he would take being on the bench um, 
you know, quite quite seriously. And I think that's the same with all great players. They don't really want to be benched and stuff like that. And maybe he, he's seen like his career coming to an end. He wants to get as much out of it as possible. But, you know, I think we do really have to focus on the future and building towards that because, you know, one day we're not going to have Jonathan Sexton. And we seem to have a, a little bit of a deficit at 10 in terms of, we don't have another player to the same level of Jonathan Sexton, you know, so it's not going to be great for Irish rugby if we just keep playing Jonathan Sexton the whole time. We need to get other guys in and give them a shot in big games, you know, because as we're saying with Jonathan Sexton, like at his, in his age bracket and how physical he plays the game, the likelihood of him getting injured in a World Cup are quite high. Um, So, We want to have a backup 10 that's able to come in and, you know, give us give us the best possible platform. You know, you see other, other teams maybe have out halves, they can kind of interchange and stuff like that. So we need to get to that level if we're going to be challenging for a World Cup. We can't have like an inexperienced 10 going into a crucial game in a World Cup because we know, we, we all know the same story for Ireland. We get to a quarter final and that's it. So if we want to go a step beyond, we're going to have to think about um, building towards that, um, and I think, you know, I think Jonathan's excellent. He wouldn't be impressed. He wouldn't be. He wouldn't like it. Um, but maybe for Irish rugby, it's the the best decision. Uh, before we move on, Robbie, if I was asked to ask you for your assessment of Irish rugby at the moment, we had the highs of the victory over New Zealand last year, Argentina and Japan. We had the high of a really good win over Wales, but question mark is how good were Wales that night? I know they defeated Scotland last weekend as well. Um, but if I was to ask you your opinion on the status of the Irish team at the moment, are we making progress? Are we in a good position? Or was the France performance on Saturday, even though it was only six points, a realisation that we're still maybe a couple of years of w- away of where we were once were? Uh, no, I think you, know, you could argue that maybe the, you know, during like Brian O'Driscoll and Paul O'Connell era that we had the best team. Um, but I think now we have better strength and depth. Obviously we're talking about maybe out half. We don't have the, the strength and depth is maybe other top teams do, but I think in every other position in the back line, in the front row, you know, back row, um, all these sort of positions, we have real strength and depth, depth and real leaders. Um, so I think you could argue that maybe we don't have the best team we've ever had, but remember a few years ago when Paul O'Connell, he got injured in the World Cup and we had, he was out for the next game and he was a massive loss for the Irish team. Whereas, you know, you think that we're in a better position now to absorb a loss like that, you know, even of Jonathan yeah. Sext, we're in a better position to to lose a couple of big marquee names and have, you know, next man up. We're not afraid to say, OK, throw him in, you know, in a way. So I think overall, you know, you know, I was I was worrying for a long time that, you know, when Brian O'Driscoll's career came to an end, that would, there would be a massive fall off in Irish rugby. But I think the Brian O'Driscoll era gave rise to lots of young guys playing rugby and be really, really enthused about playing rugby and Ireland going out and beating the, the all blacks the last few years. Um, 
yeah, I think Irish rugby is in a great place and lots of great players coming through. Um, so hopefully that continues. And I think, you know, the better the Irish team do, the more young lads you're going to have coming through and wanting to to play well for their country and stuff like that, you know. So, um, yeah, I think it's in a good place. And, you know, fingers crossed we can maybe deliver Six Nations this year. And, you know, you never know in the World Cup what could happen. Yeah, I know very valid points there. And yeah, I know I, I'd be of the same opinion. I think we're in a good good place. Um anytime you beat New Zealand, but more especially uh, as big a team as New Zealand are, the best in the world. I mean, anytime you're able to get a result over Wales as well, because they have been one bogey team of Ireland. And one thing I won't lie, I would have been really pleased with is the reaction of Irish players. Um, I don't know how many times we went behind the way we did over in Paris, um, especially going 15 points down and to pull it back to a point. And yeah, France were just more clinical um, in certain aspects and I mean, I can't imagine how difficult it was playing over in Paris. I suppose the only comparison I could maybe compare to it is playing Dublin in Croke Park when you have Croke Park full to the rafters. That is an unbelievable experience. And I've been there. And when you have come on your boys in blue coming from every area around, um, you can only just think what it'd be like in Paris. Um, so, yeah, I know I'd agree with your assessment. I'm not downbeat, and I think there's a lot we can achieve um, within the Six Nations. Um, maybe I would rather, if expectations were slightly a bit lower, because I still have a fear this time next year we could be heading into the World Cup with... Uh, maybe unreal expectations and we could suffer disappointment again. So if we could taper that some way that we can kind of go and surprise ourselves. Yeah. It'd be good. Yeah, you, do, you don't want to be kind of too overconfident either. Exactly. Because the past few World Cups, even going back to 2007, um we were kind of going in and saying, here, we'll make semi-final or we have a chance of winning it here. Um, and going back even to that time in 2007, Italy beat us, I think, in Belfast in the warm-up to that World Cup. Um, so, yeah, we tapered a bit. I'd like to see that, but I'd love to see a settled number 10 by next year. And hopefully, um, Jonathan Sexton will uh, feature some part because I think he deserves to be able to play as long as he can. But we have to be cruel to be kind, as well as the song says, um, because we have to look at the long term as well. We move on anyway, Robbie, and we mentioned this earlier in the podcast, the Tinder swindler. I won't lie, I didn't see it. It won't be a surprise to anyone listens to the podcast regularly. I'm not great for watching new shows, but I did hear of this. And I let you tell me a bit about it and um, why you would recommend it. 
Yeah, it's just, um, I suppose it's an interesting, sh- uh, it's like, um, I suppose documentary, it's like nearly two hours long, I think. And basically it's about um, these women who meet this guy on Tinder and he, you know, he appears like he's this uh, heir to this diamond empire and he's got, he's like money um, coming out of his arse basically, you know, he wears the best clothes in the best restaurants and the first, the first lady who uh, comes into contact with him, you know, on the first date, she's like, you know, let's go on my private jet and fly over to Bulgaria um, and all this sort of stuff. So he's a real high flyer, but essentially his whole gig is like a pyramid scheme in a way, because what he does is he, he gets real friendly with these girls and then he's then he starts telling them that his enemies are after him and you know they're freezing bank cards and then he's like okay can you give me a lend of money and then I'll pay you back and basically he uses all the loans he gets to finance his wealthy lifestyle and to entice more women into his uh, scam essentially you know so one woman ended up giving him uh 250,000 um in a series of of loans um, and she was in no doubt that he would pay him back because he was the heir to a diamond uh, <laughs> like fortune, you know, allegedly, which he's not in real life, obviously. But um, yeah, the whole thing was a big scam and he was, uh, I think originally from Israel and he was wanted for crimes in Israel. And then he went around Europe and uh, scamming women essentially and living the absolute high life, drinking champagne, eating caviar, you know, Rolls Royces, the whole lot, you know. So, um, yeah, it's a really interesting show. And, you know, it's a lot of it is his Instagram profile. He has all his, you know, really great pictures of him, you know, on beaches and, you know, in these exotic locations. And it really entices people in. So I suppose it's just a warning for people to, you know, you never know who you're going to meet in, in sort of an online situation and how genuine they are, you know. So, um yeah, definitely, um, definitely uh, an interesting show, and uh, check it out. Does it sound like something you'd uh, end up watching, Dave? Yeah, no, I, I, I don't mean to sound insensitive here, and far from it, um, because I never want to hear of anyone getting conned. Far from it, and I think anyone that does it is a despicable person, really is. And I mean, there's a. Uh, I'm going to be very sensitive in saying this. There's a program I watched last night that I was shocked on as well. Um, that vulnerable people were being dragged in and um, in a different context now this time, but um, it was uh, it was shocking viewing now. But what I can't understand is... I don't know. I don't know how I can say this without sounding an an asshole. Honestly, Robbie, I genuinely don't know how. But how can you, like, if you got an email, you know straight away there are some people will be caught and it's really unfortunate and they shouldn't be caught. But it's that saying don't fall for the oldest trick in the book like i mean if you have someone that's really really wealthy 
they sometimes don't exploit it as much as someone that would be kind of letting on their wealth in a sense because you can view uh, pictures of people on Instagram or Facebook or any other picture uh, picture sharing sites and they're standing beside a Lamborghini or sitting in a Lamborghini but you know for certain they don't um I just don't know. I, I, no, sorry, I won't go any further because I feel like I'm sounding like an asshole here where vulnerable people are people who are being dragged in uh, and conned wrongfully. But you always make sure that something that's too good to be true is actually too good to be true, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I suppose no. a lot of the, the women in the show were saying about how, you know, in love they were with him and all this sort of stuff. And they thought he was so genuine and just such a nice guy and, you know, all this sort of stuff, you know. But yeah, like, yeah, I get what you're saying that sometimes when people are really flashy that, you know, they maybe don't have as much wealth as they appear to. And there's this older guy I I used to know. He's passed away. Um he looked like he hadn't got two pennies to rub together, but he was an absolute millionaire, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So like definitely, you know, be aware of people who are, you know, throwing cash around, like it's not their own, especially when it is not their own. But um, yeah, like, you know, there's lots, you hear lots about lots of scams, people, you know, send the money over to countries um, to help pay for flights for somebody to come over and then they're just the person isn't coming over at all they just want the money you know so and I think a lot of especially during the pandemic a lot of online scams were uh were increasing and stuff like that so definitely you have to be wary of any sort of phone call or a text message or email that you get that it could potentially be a scam and you know to be honest I wouldn't reply to most um most official sources unless they send me uh, a letter written in blood to be honest with you because anything else could just be a scam you know oh definitely like i got a text message tonight and it really did look official it really did look official it was from revel it said it was from revolut that uh, my account was being frozen and do you know the text messages you get in and you say straight away here this is a con like this had Revolut in the headline and it's only when you looked at the web address you said to yourself here this is fake so I logged into me Revolut found out it wasn't blocked but do you think this should be more awareness Robbie I mean I know this should be I won't say a funny topic or far from it because people are after being conned and it's not right is it a situation there should be more awareness or is it a situation that people, like I said, shouldn't believe something that's too good to be true? Because you get an email from the king of Adar Zadaba or somewhere Nigeria or something like that. One of all the scams going around and you still have people falling for it. Um is it a thing that there should be more awareness campaigns because it is um it is actually affecting people i mean someone paying a quarter of a million 
that's taking away someone's possible inheritance or savings or pension pot or whatever. Like, I mean, I don't, and that's why I didn't mean to sound insensitive because I wouldn't want to see someone losing a fiver on the street or lose five cent on the street, not to mention a quarter of a million. But I just can't believe in this day and age that people are still um, not double checking things before they actually do it if that makes sense yeah i think as well especially for not to sound too ageist but a lot of older people as well would be quite oh uh, yeah they would be easily to in a certain degree kind of um yeah like hoodwinked into a scam you know quite easily you know so you feel really sorry for these people that maybe have worked their whole life and maybe have a little bit of a nest egg for retirement built up and then it all gets wiped out in an instant you know and they've, they have no comeback you know so but maybe oh, banks definitely. need to be more responsible in that scenario as well yeah i oh, know definitely and just to clarify my parents wouldn't be tech savvy um my mother uses a mobile phone my father has a real old phone and mm. i mean they could be duped and it's as simple as that but I mean, you wouldn't really have an older generation on Tinder. What I mean is it'd be very, very slim chance you would have someone on Tinder or another site like that that's maybe in their 60s, 70s, 80s. Now, I discard 60s because 60s is still a young age. 70s, 80s is a young age now. But if you think back, mobile phones are only out, what, past 30, 30 years or just slightly more. So if you have people in their 70s or 80s, that's a vast portion of their life without, say, certain technology. But if you have someone signing up to the likes of Tinder, they are at a stage that you would be expecting here, especially when they're joining an app. They, they, I, I don't know. And I, 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 yeah, I'm conscious. I don't want to come across as an asshole or insensitive. Far from it. I, do, I don't think anyone should be conned. But yeah, I know. But I think I find I think, it know, hard to believe. That's that's yeah. all. Yeah, I suppose you, you can be respectful and still be like, you know, how did you get scammed? You know the way, like, I would yeah. think myself, now I'm probably going to get scammed tomorrow now, but I would think myself that I would be quite wary of stuff, you know the way. I think in general, a lot of people are, maybe especially of our age bracket, maybe uh, <laughs> that, you know, we've been around with technology and we understand there's a lot of scams going on, you know, but then say my son, you know, you know, he's probably could be even more aware than me, like in a few years, you know, the way. So I think definitely the yeah. younger generation is always a step ahead in terms of figuring this stuff out. But these were like young enough women that got scammed and, you know, they fell in love and they trusted this guy and they, you know, were potentially going to marry him and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, he cleaned them out, you know. So, you know, sometimes it, it can just be like the show is so big and the, the facade is so uh, foolproof almost that people just go into it, you know. But, uh, you know, if you meet a millionaire tomorrow, TJ, I think you'll definitely be uh, checking up on them. 
<laughs> if I met a millionaire, Robbie, I know it'd be a scam straight away because I was saying yeah. here, <laughs> what would they want to do with a peasant like me? Uh, anyway, um, just for the listeners, I'm not insensitive. I really feel sorry for these women. But if something's too good to be true, sometimes it's unfortunately too good to be true. And um, I know I'd be lucky to have two euro fifty tomorrow to buy a cup of tea. Uh, so no, I don't think I'd be worrying about paying out a quarter of a million anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we move on anyway, Robbie, uh, to the Super Bowl. And I know uh, you were like a child uh, coming up to the late, late Thai show with the Super Bowl coming up. And I don't think you were disappointed because not only was it a terrific game, but it was a brilliant halftime show as well. Yeah. And, you know, just mentioning my, you know, age bracket again, I think it was perfect Super Bowl for someone of uh, my age. Um, you know, I bought the 50 Cent album uh, that was on my 17th birthday. I was listening to that uh, and he made a surprise appearance and I love Dr. Dre and Eminem. And, you know, I, would listen, I wouldn't listen to as much of uh, Kendrick Lamar or Mary J, but they were still, you know, it was just a incredible performance a halftime show a lot of people were saying it was uh one of the best ones ever um snoop dogg just was pictured uh smoking some weed before he went on and a lot of people were shocked <laughs> with the smoking weed but i don't know why they were <laughs> but um yeah a lot was made of 50 cent as well he was kind of maybe carrying an, an extra few pounds um so there's a lot of funny memes about him as well and he came in uh he was like hanging upside down was your first kind of shot of him so uh, there's lots of funny memes about that but um yeah it was a great game um the la rams uh won it in the end and you know they're not without their struggles they have a bit of an all-star team but um one of their best receivers odell beckham he i think he blew out his his knee uh during the second quarter um and then one of the other wide receivers had to go to the hospital because his wife was giving birth to a baby. Uh, he had to run out at halftime to go to see his newborn baby. And yeah, I think, you know, the Bengals, you know, they're the little bit, the kind of average Joe's team, you know, the little team that could um, were so close. They came out in the second half and they got a touchdown off the first play or second play, I think it was. And they were looking really good. And after they got ahead, they just couldn't keep their quarterback standing up straight, basically. Just the Ellie Rams went to town and kept sacking him and putting pressure. So basically, his uh, Joe Burrow, the Bengals quarterback, his offensive line couldn't protect him. And uh, Aaron Donald, he's probably one of the best uh, defensive players of all time. He got to Joe Burrow two or three times to break up plays, crucial plays. And um, in the end, the Rams got ahead and the, the, the Bengals weren't able to come back. You know, just it was too, too late in the game and they got turned over. So, um, yeah, fair play to the Rams. It was a great game. Uh, I managed to stay up the whole... I had a bit of a nap beforehand. I had a nap from like 10 to 11 and the match started around half 11. So I, I was able to sustain myself through the game. But, um, yeah, there was, and there was an all-star kind of uh, audience. You, know, you had LeBron James, Jay-Z, Kanye West, uh, Beyonce was there. You know, all the all the stars were there, uh, especially because it was the, the Super Bowl in L.A., you know. So, yeah, 
the only thing is now we've got uh, two hundred and seventy odd days until the next uh, the next game now. And where's the Super Bowl next year, Robbie? Do you know? Um, oh, I'm not sure now. Um, but the the last two years, um, the team that hosted the Super Bowl managed to get to the Super Bowl. If you know what I mean, so. Yeah. Uh, and they and they ended up winning it as well. So the joke is that they should have the they should have the Super Bowl in the Dallas Cowboys Stadium, so that uh, the home team is never there. Basically, so it's a joke to basically say the Cowboys are crap. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm not sure where the Super Bowl is, but um, they've got plenty of choice anyway. Yeah, I know. I just looked it up. I was curious, actually, and sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. It's in the State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. Oh, Arizona. Um, February the 12th, 2023. Um, Yeah, I know it's just when you mentioned 50 Cent there and all the years back and that his first album came out after all this years, 50 Cent has no change. Um, (laughs) So they were saying he was Sorry. like uh he was like one dollar now because he was so big. But he, like I don't think he <laughs> I don't think he was even that big. Like he's just a forty six year old man and he just doesn't have the metabolism he used to. He, you know, he had looked a little bit bigger, but I think it was very unfair what people were saying about him, to be honest. Yeah, I know. Actually I had a, a an item in mind for the highball tonight, and it was something maybe slightly around that. Not about weight issues or anything like that, far from it. <laughs> But uh, around social media, but maybe we do it again in the future. But uh, yeah, no, I I won't lie. I promise uh, we got Liam on the podcast to follow Wolves and fair play to me. Did I didn't keep up my bargain with following the NFL? So I promise I will. So I have two seven two hundred and seventy days to. Get up on it and pick a team. I think I might, not because they won, but uh, I think I chose the LA Rams last year, or LA team. I think it was the LA Rams because I yeah, you were saying the Rams, yeah. stadium. So I might focus on them next year. Um, but yeah, I'll keep up my end of the bargain there this time. This time. Uh, yeah. We move on anyway, Robbie to the Champions League. There are games on tonight. We're recording Tuesday. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain against Real Madrid and Sporting versus Man City. Um, I don't think to be much point talking because the games are on. I can see PSG and Real Madrid are tied at the moment uh, in that game. But they are games tomorrow or today. If you're listening on Wednesday, uh, Salzburg versus Bayern Munich and Inter versus Liverpool. I am biased in this, um, so I'll stay out of it. Um, but actually, before that, Robbie, uh, there's a Premier League game on tonight. Sorry, uh, tonight, Tuesday, Manchester United versus Brighton. Now, I'm not going to chat about the game because the game will be over when the podcast will be out. Do you think Manchester United are in a bit of trouble? I mean, they take the lead in the first half and they concede in the second half and they're after drawn possibly, is it their last six games? I stand corrected on that, but it's a high percentage of games they took the lead and they ended up drawing him. Um, 
not much really better than when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was there. I know they lost the odd game. Liverpool beat them. Other teams beat them. But seemed to be no change there, Robbie. Uh, no, they haven't got any sort of a, a new manager bounce from uh, Ralph Ragnick, you know. So, yeah, I think maybe players unhappy with the style, Ronaldo unhappy, and it just seems to be the same old story for United. But, you know, without the, the bounce of the new manager, like Solskjaer had when he came in, you know. So, um, you know, it's a really difficult situation. They've spent so much money and they have a lot of really good players, but maybe just not the bit of steel that they need. Um, and, you know, like Ralph Ragnick, like I know people were saying he's invented, you know, the style of football that Tuchel and Klopp have implemented. But realistically, like, did anyone know who Ralph Ragnick was before he got the job, you know? So it was a real kind of bolter, like, in terms of an a, a appointment. So, yeah, I don't know. It seems to be going from bad to worse for United and... You know, sometimes when teams get into a rut where they start drawing a lot of games, they become hard to beat and then eventually the, the wins start to come. But I think, you know, there's almost been no honeymoon period for Ralph Ragnick. And yeah, I think, you know, you could even see him getting the sack pretty soon if they don't turn things around, you know. But um, I suppose they're playing Leeds on Sunday, so that's a guaranteed three points, no? Yeah, no, I, it's a tough one because you would fancy on the form Leeds are in. But Leeds and United, even going back throughout the years, had ding-dong battles. Um, now, when Manchester United were at their prime, I mean, yeah, the win percentage towards Manchester United would have been greater when they clashed. But, uh, yeah, and current form... Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's a bit like the Republic of Ireland there a few years ago. You'd be fancying a draw. <laughs> yeah. That, I think for United, though, the thing is that you have uh, Spurs, Wolves and Arsenal who are just behind them with games in hand. But it would be hard to argue that Spurs, Wolves and Arsenal are in any way that consistent that, you know... United could still play horrible and end up in fourth, you know the way. So yeah. That might yeah. that might be the only saving grace for, for Ragnick. Yeah, I know that's very true. Actually, the other Champions League game, Man City for Sport, and I know it won't make an impact because the result will be well out when the podcast is broadcast, but Man City are winning four nil in that. Um, just to chat slightly about City, do you think this has to be their year that they claim the Champions League title? Because how many games can you win and hammer teams in the group stage and then in the knockout games and then fall short in the semi-final or final? Yeah, I, you know, I've you know, been saying for this season, I think this is the year that they actually do it. Um, just because, you know, of all the other teams, like they're all fairly beatable, especially for City. Like, you know, Bayern aren't the team they used to be, Real Madrid aren't either. Um, you know, on their day, they can obviously be Liverpool or Chelsea. Um, I think they'd fancy them possibly in the Champions League this year. Um, obviously, I know Chelsea and Liverpool have the history in the Champions League, but I think with a little bit of a buffer that, um, and it doesn't always work this way, but a little bit of a buffer that 
uh, Man City have in the in the Premier League might enable them to rest guys and have their best team possible to play in the, the latter stages of the Champions League. Now, I know what they have said as well is that sometimes they weren't getting tested in the Premier League. So then they've been going into the Champions League, you know, semi-finals a little bit cold. Um, but yeah, I think this is, you know, I, I actually really hope they do get over the line, despite the fact that they're maybe a horrible club in the sense they've pumped a lot of money. But I think for Pep's legacy, I'd like to see him get one. And, you know, Liverpool and Chelsea have won one recently. And, you know, I think, you know, it'd be nice for for Pep to win one out without Messi. Um, now, you can argue that he's done it with a lot of money and all that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, I, I do like Pep. So, yeah, I think this could be their year to do it. Um, you know, they've got the squad to do it. Everything is in their favour, you know, the way. And the rest of the teams aren't as maybe strong as they have been. You know, over the last 10, 15 years, there's no real great uh, outstanding team like Barcelona or Real Madrid. You know, obviously Liverpool will be in the shake-up as well. They've had a bit of a difficult task against Inter now tomorrow night, starting off. Uh, Inter are going well in Serie A as well. So, yeah, like, you know, the, the, it's definitely open for a lot of teams to get in there and uh, and cause an upset, maybe possibly potentially, you know. Yeah, and just before we move on, Robbie, the games uh, tonight, Wednesday, um, Bayern versus Salzburg, Inter versus Liverpool. You mentioned there, Liverpool be up against it, Inter going really well. Um, Do you fancy fancy Inter-Bayern in those games or could it be Liverpool-Salzburg or... Will it be just dead rubbers until the second leg? Yeah, I'd say I'd say fancy Bayern to win, and you know I think the I'll give maybe the Liverpool inter game maybe like a score draw, uh, which would give Liverpool the advantage for the return trip to Anfield. I suppose overall you're expecting Bayern and Liverpool to go through, really, aren't you? Yeah, no, I I'd be biased. Um, I think actually Liverpool sign Luis Diaz. Um, is kind of after really creating competition there for Manny. We know what Salah can do. We know what Jota can do. Um, Manny, brilliant, terrific player, absolutely outstanding player. But sometimes he has been found, and with competition there with Luis Diaz, we have a backup there. He hasn't scored yet, um, but. I think he will. So yeah, I fancy Liverpool. I I won't like. I won't say we'll go on win it. Never know way things can go. Um, but get over Inter and things possible. I mean, not many would have given Chelsea much hope last year, and saw what Chelsea went on to do after. Um, so yeah, it. All bias apart, I kind of fancy Bayern and Liverpool. I think if Liverpool strike form, it could be a great night. Now it is away; that's the only thing, and they uh, it will be tough. But maybe two two nil win to Liverpool, best night. But I take one all, two all draw. Being honest, getting back to Anfield and see what we can do then. Um, yeah. But I see if I'm right or wrong next week anyway, Robbie, because yeah, uh, as 
as anyone ever listened some predictions I ever put out on radio or newspaper sometimes I can be fine bunting anyway uh, <laughs> we move on to the high ball Woo! Uh-huh. the high ball Yay! okay so like I was saying I did have one in my head about social media and then I said no um, so I came across this one on the internet I, I cheated and I googled and I changed it slightly around. So having connections to Wexford, I didn't know you lived down there. Uh, you would be well known to a certain building down there. So if you're offered a million euro to be locked in Loftus Hall, would you do it? And if you did, why would you do it? Or if you wouldn't, why not? Yeah, well, you know... Definitely, I wouldn't go there at Halloween. <laughs> Anyone doesn't know, like, um, it's like the devil was like, I don't know, took the roof off the place or something like that, or some sort of legend yeah. about the devil anyway. So, and it's, it does like haunt the tourists during the, 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 uh, like Halloween period and stuff like that. Um, and like the, I don't know if you've ever been down there, but where it's situated is just in a real kind of freaky part of the world because the sea is close by. And yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a real freaky place. Um, you know, for a million euro, I'd probably give it a whirl. Um, but if it was Halloween, you'd probably want to offer me maybe a little bit more money, to be honest with you, because uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it could be, it could be a scary enough place. But um, yeah, I reckon I could do one night for a million euro. Um, like if I was on my own. Um, oh, this would be, you'd be completely on your own. You'd be locked in. You'd be in there from uh, dusk to dawn. Uh, yeah, well, that definitely ramps up a bit. But um, yeah, I suppose I'd just try and, you know, maybe hide in a corner somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, where you could just go, yeah, you could go a bit, you know, to have you have you drinks, maybe take the edge off, maybe. So maybe you're not as scared, but um yeah, one night on my own. Jeez. Um, you know, I'd say I'd give it a go, but I'd probably be absolutely shite myself the whole time. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the stories would just end the, spend the <laughs> night. In the I'd probably be nearly worse. Uh, that's like um, kind of like nightclub disco bar thing in Wexford Town. Um, and if you if you end up in the stores, you just know you've had a mad night. You know, if you, someone asks you how your how's your night was, and you said I ended up in the stores. That's a mad night. So, uh, yeah, so probably I'll probably stay in Loftus Hall, maybe over at the stores, probably. <laughs> I Would you believe I was in the stores once? I was in Loftus Hall inside once, was on the premises a few times we used to go down. Just for anyone that's uh, listening, tuning in, we know we have people listening in from around the world. Loftus Hall is based in the southeast of Ireland. It's an old... Um, how would you say it's kind of a, an English style mansion uh, right down on Hookhead? And um, I can't think of the name of the family there. We've done a play on it in transition years, part of our transition year show. So I, I developed a fascination with it then. Um, but the legend goes that it was a really wealthy family and they had a daughter. And uh, a ship came in one night onto um, Hookhead 
and the knock came to the door and this really well-dressed, well-spoken gentleman came up to the door and they welcomed them in and they were playing cards. They were um, either having a party or legend has it differently, but this would be a summation anyway. And they were playing cards and the daughter of the house took a fancy to this strange, um, good looking gentleman. And the daughter of donor dropped the card on the floor. And when she bent down to get it under the table, she noticed that the, this man had hoofed feet. And the minute that the daughter saw the hoofed feet, this man flew up through the ceiling and uh, the hole could never be repaired. Now, the current structure is there is not the original building. Um, it was rebuilt. I think there was a fire after. But the legend goes, there's a few stories around it and I, I stand corrected on one part. The, they say that the daughter, some say the daughter had a child. Now, I could be completely wrong in that, but the well-known fact about it is that the daughter went mad after and she locked herself into a room there. And she actually died because of, um, I don't know if it was malnutrition or madness. or, or I, I'm not 100% certain, but the daughter died and she was not the same after. And that oh, room, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, uh, she was a coal figure after that. But um, yeah, that that's the story that that room in the house uh, where the daughter spent her days um, is meant to be the most haunted room. Um, okay. So for proper history, Google Loftus Hall. Uh, if I'm incorrect in most of the facts, that's because my name's TJ Mills and I'm wrong in most things. Uh, but going back to the question, yeah, I think I would. Um, not for the money, I'd be fascinated anyway. Um, they had a great thing during the lockdowns, actually. They had webcams set up in the house and I, I was glued to them. And I saw some weird shit on it. I won't lie to you. Maybe it's size playing tricks. Maybe it was lights coming from somewhere. But there were definitely weird things. And there's a friend of mine um, kind of have interest in paranormal. I'm not saying I believe in ghosts or whatever, but I would like to believe there's something there because it says here there's something after you close your eyes for the final time. But um yeah, there were some weird things seen on it. There were some weird sounds uh, coming through. But as it is an old building, it was on the coast. It was during the winter. You can have a a situation that would be. But um, yeah, I think I would. And would you believe if I was offered to do it for free? I probably would. Uh, but I wouldn't want to be on my own with just one certain type of spirit uh, to do it fully on my own I'd want to be full of spirit um, full of spirit but, <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah no it'd be it'd be interesting uh, I think it's closed down now Robbie um, yeah I just googled it there and it says it's closed permanently so 
yeah now i know we used to go down there when we we're in school uh when we got cars first we used to drive down there a couple of times when we'd have free classes and security when you go in around the grounds security would chase you out in other words it was completely which is a real shame um because it is a fabulous building but uh yeah, no, it's definitely one, like I'm saying, I'm not saying I believe in ghosts or anything like that, uh, but there's definitely some interesting um, things. There's actually a place near as well. Did you ever hear about um, the house over in Paulstown? Uh, it's uh, a no. castle, uh, Shankill Castle. Uh, now, it isn't, I, I don't think it can be the same story as... Um, say Loftus Hall, I don't think it has anything to do with the devil or anything like that, but it is meant to be fairly haunted. And they are a legend um, for anyone that would know, they can Google uh, Kells as well if you're listening uh, from outside Kilkenny or outside of Ireland. Do you know when you're going out of Kells towards Stonyford? Mm-hmm. Do you know yeah. the castles, the car park where the, the castles are? Do you yeah. know the church that's there? You can kind of see the outline of a church and gate going into the graveyard. Yeah, yeah. There's meant to be a hole in that wall that was actually meant to be done by the devil as well. That's, what, that's what local legend stated. Uh, there are some uh, interesting stories, but it is in Halloween. We're in the middle of February. We're the day after Valentine's Day. <laughs> Uh, I didn't mean to drag it down, but it was just a topic popped into my head. No, uh, it's interesting. On that note, anyway, Robbie, it was a pleasure. Uh, thanks a million for your company. Again, I love it every week. And uh, thanks a million again for fill, filling in for me last week uh, when I was slightly under the weather as well. I'm grateful. If you want to contact us here on Two Hands on the Hurl podcast, you can do so through Facebook and Instagram. Robbie's doing terrific work on Instagram. And also any suggestions you might have for our highball, uh, we'd love to hear from you. And to all our listeners around the world, we're really, really grateful looking at the figures um it, it isn't about the figures definitely not and i make that perfectly clear but without um you listening in um we 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 have no point really doing it and it's just a pleasure to have you and it's an honor that you're checking in every week you can also check out our website too on uh, two hands on the hurl pod dot wixite.com forward slash podcast uh, I did say a few times we will be adding features to that. We will, of course, we have good ideas for uh, later on this year. We will try and do live broadcasts and also YouTube as well. And when restrictions fully, fully, fully disappear, we'll try and do uh, in-person ones as well. Um, so onwards and upwards from here. Pleasure as always, Robbie, and have a great week. And I chat to you next week. Yeah, cool. Great chats. Thanks, Robbie. Talk to you, bud. Take care. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Bye bye.